We're doing this. We're doing this. Uh, there we are. We're doing this. You know what? We're doing this. We're doing it. <laughs> we're coming on uh, an entire minute early. We are one minute early. Some days we're a one minute late, and some days we're one minute early. Sometimes we're right on time. Some days we don't come on. Some days we don't get off. What? All right. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, moms and dads, aunts and uncles, brothers and sisters, cousins and mothers, close relations and distant relatives, welcome to, welcome to Living on a Thin Line with Tony Visick. I am Tony Visick. That's why the show is called Living on a Thin Line with Tony Visick because I am Tony Visick. Uh, and that's why it's called that. So I just wanted to clear that up. We don't want any controversy. Everything can be controversial nowadays. Somebody go, why is it called Living on a Thin Line with Tony Visick? Who's Tony Visick? Me. That's who. I'm Tony Visick. Um, I have uh, an electric boogaloo of a show for you today, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, this show will be the cat's pajamas. I guarantee. Um, we come to you every day at 2 p.m. Arizona time, which is normally Mountain Standard time, right now Pacific time. You figure it out. You do the math, all right? But those of you that are here, you don't have to worry because you're here. We come to you every day at 2 p.m. our time. Our, this is our time. We come to you every day at 2 p.m. our time. Uh, and we are your daily distraction from all the anger, anxiety, weirdness, and hoopla going on in the world today. Show comes to you on three platforms. You can listen, just listen, on ComedySchoolsRadioNetwork.com. By the way, that is a, uh, uh, a great website. We, uh, we house many great interviews on that website. Some from when we were uh, on uh, terrestrial radio, AM and FM, for years when we had our own uh, radio station, our own radio show that had nothing to do with this show. It was a regular Thursday and Friday morning show, interview show, uh, and a lot of great interviews with comics. And there's an interview today. There's a guy we're going to talk about today a little bit, okay, who we have interviewed. So when we get to the music portion of the show... Someone was involved with one of the records we're going to feature today. Uh, we have interviewed and is a friend of ours. And we're going to get to that in a little bit. So we come to you on ComedySchoolsRadioNetwork.com. YouTube. I'm pointing at YouTube if you want. That's YouTube on the Comedy Schools channel. And, of course, here on Facebook Live. Hello, Rhonda. Hello, Randy. Hello, Rhonda. Hello, Randy. Uh, hello, Tina and Mike. Hello, uh, uh, Loomis. Uh, hi to everyone who is... Uh, Taking a peek, giving us a gander. Uh, the show is built around three things. Questions and comments by you, the listening and viewing audience that you leave on one of the three aforementioned uh, social platforms. Uh, some knickknack, our oddity, our memorabilia, our book, our magazine, uh, our curio, our curiosity that I have laying around here at the home office that I try to weave a story around. And we recommend two artists or two pieces of music based on our vast vinyl album collection. Have done a lot of, uh, um, um, hello, hello, Tina and Mike, good to see you. We, uh, we have done uh, a lot of obscure stuff, and lately we've been doing some uh, uh, more well-known names, and today both of the uh, vinyl albums we're going to feature are by very well-known artists, but uh, uh, not probably, at least with one of them, one of their very late, one of their much later albums. We featured this particular band, a lot of their earlier stuff, and we're gonna. Uh, we've been talking about the last few days. This band, this I think was their last album, 
as uh, as the incarnation they were. They broke up. They got back together. You know, as a touring kind of nostalgia act. But uh, that's all coming up. That's all coming up as the show progresses. Uh, a couple things going on moving forward. Um, next week, next week, ladies and gentlemen, we start a new round of our stand-up comedy workshops. Uh, the um, the uh, uh, beginning workshop, which if you haven't already done it, would be the one you would start with, uh, starts August 6th. August 6th, 6 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. Uh, if you want to find out more information about that, go to ComedySchools.com. We have a big show for you this Friday. It is Class Clowns. This is the longest-running comedy showcase coming out of Arizona right now. We are the longest. We are now the longest-running, nonstop, continuous stand-up comedy enterprise in the Valley of the Sun, in the greater Phoenix area. I think there's one other organization in Arizona has been around longer than us, and they're down in Tucson, so it doesn't count. So it uh, doesn't count. Tucson doesn't count. Okay, It's all about Phoenix, man. Um, so uh, we have a show this Friday, Class Clowns, a show that has seen people go from their very first show to national television. If you'd like to view that show, if you'd like to join in on Zoom, that show is absolutely free. All you got to do is leave me a message here. Just leave me a message here with your email address or email me at comedyschools at hotmail.com. So uh, before we get to the stuff, I mean, you know, I, there's days where you go, this is, you, how many times have you turned on your television now in the past three years when you've got to be kidding? There has always been crazy people. There have always been insane people. There's always been hucksters and charlatans. You know, in the 1800s, there were snake oil salesmen going around, gather around, friends, pulling their wagon up and telling people they sold them stuff for a cure and all it was was laudanum, which was opium, you know, or alcohol. You know, it was the same thing in the 50s with uh, uh, at the Major Bowes Amateur Hour and they so sold uh, Carter's Little Liver Pills, which did nothing for you. Uh, there was also Hadakaw, which was basically, I think, just alcohol or morphine, you know, and it, it was just hucksterism. But to turn on my television yesterday and see a, um, a doctor or a bunch of people in white coats standing out there and this doctor going, you don't need face masks, hydrochloroquine, whatever it's called, hydrochloroform. I think that's what it is, is they're just chloroforming the brains of people in America. It's hydrochloroform. saying, so, you know, this cures it. And then to find out that this woman has been saying that there's a, a, a alien, that they're in vaccines, they're putting alien DNA <laughs> and seeing a lot of women's issues, gynecological issues, is because demons are having sex with them in their dreams, and that the president tweets that and retweets it. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> I just, I watch the TV. I watch it now. Like, I don't know if you ever have been like around a crazy person who was in charge or something, and you're trying to suppress that manic laugh of heart. <laughs> That's how I feel every day, every day. And then people, I got in an argument with someone today, and they're going, going, you know what, this is censorship. I go, in what world, everybody, if you have a web page, you censor. You go, this is what I'm going to have on my web page, this is what I'm not going to have on my web page. It's not censorship, it's a decision about what you're going to have on your platform. They're going, well, the big, big tech is silencing conservatives. No, there's plenty of conservatives on Facebook and on Google and on Amazon and all that. Plenty of conservatives. 
what they're silencing are liars and crazy people who are out to damage the soul of America. That's what they're doing. Kevin Brown just put up a little alien face. <laughs> they asked the president, go, well, you talked to Vladimir Putin. Did you bring up the fact that our intelligence agencies reported that Russia was paying the Taliban uh, bounties to, to kill American soldiers? He goes, no, I, you know, I didn't bring that up. I forgot to, you know, bring that. You know what? That's one of those things where we're going to talk about it, but then uh, another thing came up and we had to do a deal about another deal and that thing was going on. So uh, I forgot. Hey, you know what? Uh, I don't know where the papers are either that says that. Maybe, I think, I think we was robbed. Hey, I'm just a union delegate. I don't know what's going on. Just, I'm watching, I'm going, this is utter fucking madness. And it's a testament. It's a testament to you. It's a testament to reasonable people on both sides of the aisle. People of divergent sides of the political spectrum. That we are still doing our thing and trying to do it well. And I'm not, you know, I was a wild kid well into adulthood. Okay? But there was always a sense of decency and decorum. If you've ever been around outlaw organizations, if you've ever been around outlaw motorcycle gangs or the Bloods, and I have been around both of them <coughs> somewhat extensively in times of my life, they have a code. I'm not saying, hey, these are people that, you know, they're swell fellows. Let's have them come on over, you know. Um, but they have a code. They have a sense of right and wrong. Quite different than almost all of ours sense of right and wrong. But they have a sense of right and wrong. Uh, it seems that there is no sense of right and wrong coming out of uh, 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue now. There's just a sense of uh, crazy. It's crazy. So anyway, I just thought I'd mention, you know, when people go, you're censoring. You go, no, it's... That said, listen, you have a right to free speech. You don't have a right to be heard. You don't have a right to force me to listen. You can talk all you want, but you don't have to force me to listen. You can write all you want. I don't have to put it on my page. And as much as I think Mark Zuckerberg is probably a creepy little dude, he doesn't have to be forced to put it on the page of the company that he owns either. All right. Okay, let's get to the stuff. Shall we get to the stuff? Let's get to the stuff. I know why Randy uh, tuned in. Randy tuned in to see if we're going to have a bobblehead. We don't, Randy, we don't. Randy, Randy, we're out of bobbleheads. We don't have any more bobbleheads right now. We're waiting for our bobblehead shipment. I think it's being held up by the Illuminati. I think there should be more bobbleheads available to me, but there's a conspiracy. There's a conspiracy that is formed by the Illuminati and the Trilateral Commission. All right? And also, uh, it was formed in a, there is a conspiracy that was formed in the basement of a pizza hut in Bangor, Maine, to stop me from having access to bobbleheads. That's what I think. Um, and especially, it started once I began. Uh, Glenn Roman says, there's a national bobblehead shortage. It's not a shortage, Glenn. What they're doing is they're holding them back. They're holding them back. They're trying to control us. They're trying to control my mind by not giving me a bobblehead. Don't you see? It's the government going, we will build anxiety in people everywhere by giving them a bunch of bobbleheads. Here's your bobblehead. Here it is. And then taking them all away. And the people go, where's my bobbleheads? That's what they're doing. That's right. That's right, Randy. The Illuminati are hurting my... 
are hurting my bobblehead. They're holding back. And then they'll, you know, then they'll flood it. They'll flood it. And all of a sudden, there'll be thousands of bobbleheads all around me everywhere. Okay? They do not carry COVID, Glenn Vroman. See, this is how this shit starts. I don't know where you read that. Breitbart somewhere. Steve Bannon tell you that? Is that something Roger Stone said on a podcast? <laughs> And Glenn says, I'm sorry you call it the COVID. That's right. Did you hear about Ray down the road? He, he took sick with the COVID. Oh, that's a humdinger right there. <laughs> Bobbleheads do not carry the COVID. Okay? And, I, and this is why I had to form the organization, ladies and gentlemen, Bobblehead Rescue. That's why I had to do it. Okay? Just like Animal Rescue. We're going to get that uh, lady, uh, uh, John McLaughlin. What's her name, Shirley? What is her name? It's not John McLaughlin. Is it, uh, is it, um, Sarah? Sarah Palin? Sarah McLaughlin. Is she related to John McLaughlin, the guy who used to yell politics on TV? No? I saw a band, it was the John McLaughlin and the Mahavishni Orchestra in the 70s. Um, the baseball ones do not, Glenn. <laughs> Let's be clear. What's becoming very apparent is that baseball bobbleheads do not carry the COVID, but that real-life baseball players apparently do, sadly enough. Um, <laughs> we have farmed bobblehead rescue. We're going to get uh, Sarah McIntosh, whatever her name is, to uh, sing the song. In the eyes of a bobblehead that was going to be thrown away with the old TV. la 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 la, la. We're gone. I looked at that bobblehead and it said, rescue me. We made uh, Randy Ioma the, uh, um, the official fundraiser for uh, Bobblehead Rescue. He has uh, pledged uh, $250,000 to the organization. Thank you, Randy, so that we can rescue all the bobbleheads in the world and save them from the Illuminati and from people like Glenn who want to get them and then open up a jar full of COVID and get out a butter knife and just smear them. That's what Glenn wants to do. He ends up opening up a, a hole like a peanut butter jar that's just full of COVID. And then get a butter knife and smear them all over the bobbleheads and put them back in a box. And then send them out to Goodwill to run America. We don't have a bobblehead today. Here's what we got. Something just as cool in my mind's eye. How cool do I think it is? I got this in a wrapper because I don't want it to. Not a, like Chance the Wrapper. Uh, there's a chance to get torn up, so I put it in a wrapper. I don't know if that's where the guy got the name. This is Mr. Natural. Now, if you're of a certain age, okay, if you are of a certain age, if you are from the 60s and the 70s, this was the brilliant comedy. I like graphic novels are a big thing now. Graphic novels are a big thing. Before graphic novels, uh, when I was coming up, Comic books were really, really, really kind of middle-of-the-road stuff. They were controlled by something called the Comic Code of America, and there was a lot of subjects they couldn't touch, and the heroes had to all behave in a certain way, and the bad guys had to lose all the time. And then came along the underground comics of the 60s. A bunch of artists who, yeah, probably were on drugs, okay, definitely were on drugs, okay, uh, who were very talented and decided to create their own stories. One of the iconic characters that R. Crumb created was a Mr. Natural, now, our crew uh, created uh, uh, many other uh, fabulous characters, and I just want to give you, you won't be able to read it, but just hear some of his art. And it was just stunning stuff. 
Okay, and I don't, you're not going to get a good look there. I just want to give you an idea if you could just see that. Uh, you want to check out Art Crumb. Definitely not politically correct. Bef- definitely from sort of a hedonistic, on the street, we're learning to make up the rules as we come along, kind of post-hippie mentality. Now, this one came out in the late 70s. Art Crumb started drawing in the uh, late 60s. And Mr. Natural was this kind of freaky, older head who had all these strange philosophies and stuff. And, he, oh, and on the front, it says, stick with me, folks. I got all the answers. Hoppo, yeah. And a little bear sitting there going, my hero. So um, if you really want to check out where a lot of the great humor, where a lot of the great humor that um, uh, came out of the 70s, came out of the 60s and 70s, it came from people like Lenny Bruce. It came from people like uh, uh, Richard Pryor. It came from uh, the National Lampoon. They were, those were three of the important linchpins in George Carlin, four, four table legs of what became uh, the new American humor. You cannot also discount the underground comic movement, and you can't discount Robert Crumb, a very strange dude who wrote very autobiographical stuff that was um, uh, in comic fashion that was pretty, uh, pretty raw and honest. He was pretty raw and honest about what kind of person he was. A complete freak, a complete weirdo, a, cre- a complete... Uh, misanthrope. Some people would say, uh, you know, now you have to look up that word, Glenn. Misanthrope. Uh, some would say uh, misogynistic, certainly misogynistic by uh, today's standards. Okay. Uh, but at the time, in the, uh, with the flowering of the sexual revolution in the late, it really flowered uh, starting in the uh, mid 70s, not so much in the 60s, but really came into full bloom in the uh, 70s. Uh, some of, there were new attitudes forming new uh, ways of approaching people, men approaching women, women approaching men, and a lot of the problems that caused as well. You check out R. Crumb, and you'll see some of that in his comics that were really about street people and the hippies and the heads and the hobos and winos and weirdos living down on the street in cities like San Francisco, uh, forming um, uh, kind of a, a new the formation of the counterculture in America. So we pay homage to R. Crumb, because I used to just eat his comic books alive. The writing was stunning. The language was stunning. The storylines were stunning. There was nothing like it in America when R. Crumb came along. You may dislike uh, the thrust of a lot of what he wrote, but to this day, he had one comic called Meatball, and it was just about what if people walking down the street and all of a sudden they got hit in the head with it. Somebody yelled Meatball, and they got hit in the head with a giant Meatball. And how it becomes a trend in a movement. And how after a while, people dig it and expect it. And then one day, the meatball stopped. And I read that when I was like 17 or 18. And I laughed so hard, I fell out of a chair. Sure, I was loaded. But it was stunningly funny. And to this day, I now play games with my grandson in the pool. Where all of a sudden, I'll splash and go, meatball. And then he'll splash me back and go, meatball. And he just thinks it. And he laughed one time. He goes, I don't know why it's funny to say meatball. But it just is. I got it from our crumb. Okay, so if you ever find yourself splashing around a pool with little kids, just start splashing and saying, meatball, they'll laugh, they'll say it back, you'll be glad that you did. Okay, let's get to the music, shall we? Let's talk about the music. So the first thing we're going to go with is a bit of an oddity. Uh, we've been talking about this band a lot, okay? And this was, um, I believe, this was their last album together before they fell apart. They reformed again a few years later, but... That incredible core that started around 74 lasted into, uh, what year did this come out? 
I don't know exactly, but I want to say the uh, early 80s. And this is Fleetwood Mac. It's a double album, and it's called Tusk. It's a double album. It has one, two, three, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fifteen, sixteen, seventeen. It has twenty songs on it. Twenty songs on Tusk double album. Uh, only one that is still remembered, and that's Tusk. Why don't you? Tell them to leave me alone. It's one of the creepiest paranoid, coked out paranoid songs I ever heard. It captures the paranoia of doing too much coke. Just tell me that you love me. And it's a disjointed song, but it's got, of course, with Mick Fleetwood, just this incredible drum riff in it that just grabs you and stays with you and doesn't let go. Tusk was an incredible song. Almost everything else on this album was not. This was a double album they did Totally coke out of their mind, coke to the point of psychosis and insanity, coke to the point of physical, psychological, and emotional damage to all of them and the group. It took them forever to make it. It cost a fortune. They were able to get away with uh, murder, not actual murder. No one actually was murdered. No animals or people were killed during the making of Tusk. Uh, but they were able to get away with... Um, just incredible excess because they had made so much money with their previous albums. So much money. So this was the culmination kind of of what happened to so much of uh, young America and especially young artistic America in the uh, uh, starting somewhere around the mid-70s, well into the late 80s when uh, the cocaine blizzard just hit us and cocaine really made you feel good. And if you like feeling good, you want to feel good all the time. And after a while, you need more to keep feeling good. Then you need more to feel good. You need more to feel good. And why are you looking at me like that? Hey, uh, I think I'm going to go sit in a closet and write a movie without a pen or paper or anything. So it turned uh, a bunch of people into psychotic paranoids. It destroyed so many lives. Okay? Um, it destroyed the life of uh, the great director, Hal Ashby. It destroyed the life of the great... Uh, a director, uh, Sam Peckinpah, it damn near destroyed the lives of uh, the members of Fleetwood Mac, especially Stevie Nicks, uh, who's talked about it extensively, and now, thank goodness, has been sober and off the stuff for decades, and Mick Fleetwood. Um, this was made at the height of their money-making power, of their fame, of their fortune, and their drug addiction. And somehow there's a story that just keeps weaving through human, uh, human life and American life of, you get the biblical quote, what does it profit a man to gain the world but lose his soul? So oftentimes, we saw it in Elvis Presley, a guy who had everything and then ends up dying of a heart attack sitting on the toilet. So, um, the song Tusk is an incredible tune. We've been talking about their early stuff before uh, Lindsey Buckingham and Stevie Nicks joined, pointing out that uh, the guy who actually founded Fleetwood Mac, Peter Green, just died the other day. The guy who wrote uh, Black Magic Woman, which became a hit for Santana, not for, um, not for Fleetwood Mac. And the evolution of that band and how they were great along every step of the way. I was listening earlier to their uh, album Mystery to Me here at the house. And the issue always was, for most of their albums, very spotty. Two incredible songs, then a bunch of okay or mediocre, forgettable songs. Of course, still Stevie and Lindsay joined, and then it was... Solid wall-to-wall -wall hit, 10 tracks, two or three albums, 
stunningly good, and then we got to Tusk, and it kind of fell apart. Um, here's a man who um, uh, we love. And when I say we, my wife and I both love this guy's music. We loved this guy. Uh, he had his own radio show on Sirius Satellite Radio, and it's one of the reasons we actually got Sirius Satellite in our car and paid for it, because his, uh, his weekly one-hour show, Buried Treasure, was the funniest and most enjoyable music show I have ever come across. I'm talking about uh, the late, the great, left this way too soon, Tom Petty. So Tom Petty is a guy who went through it all, who helped change the music industry. He changed the music industry uh, by fighting against some of these contracts that really just benefited the producers and the record companies deeply at the expense of the artist. What do you mean you own my songs? You can't own my songs. I wrote my songs. And he went to court and he won. Uh, this album, Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers, Hard Promises, uh, had songs that are now a part of the American Songbook, part of, uh, uh, part of our thought process. The Waiting, The Waiting is the Hardest Part, uh, A Woman in Love, She's a Woman in Love, Night Watchman was pretty big, uh, Something Big in King's Road didn't really hit that much, uh, Letting You Go, Think About You Inside or Criminal Mind and You Can Still Change Your Mind. So the big ones off of here, of course, were The Waiting and Woman in Love. And man, go and listen to those tunes. You can listen to those tunes on the tiniest of speaker. You can listen to them on a, a cheap burner phone. You just YouTube them. You go, man, those were good tunes. Uh, on here was the original lineup for uh, Tom Petty. The guys he came uh, into town uh, in L.A. from Florida with. Of course, Tom Petty. Mike Campbell, incredible guitarist. I saw Mike live. I saw Tom Petty live. Saw the band, Tom Petty's band. Uh, of course, it was called Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. So I saw them, but I saw Mike Campbell in a small bar. I think McCabe's in Santa Monica one time. Stunningly good guitarist. Uh, ben, Mont uh, ben Montench on organ, piano, and vocals. He was with them from the beginning all the way through. And then uh, Stan Lynch on drums, who uh, left. And Ron Blair, who I believe passed away. Uh, but both Stan and Ron having a serious serious personal lifestyle problems and let's face it folks if you're in a band and the rest of the band goes you if you were in a band in the 60s or 70s or even the 80s and the rest of the band gets together and goes we think you're doing too much drugs uh you're doing way too many drugs so uh they were both replaced eventually um here's the cool thing i have some connection uh, i've met the current drummer or the the last drummer <clears throat> several times very good guy uh, from England, uh, his name escapes me at the moment, but this album was produced by Jimmy Ovine. Now, Jimmy Ovine is a legend in music because uh, he started his own company, uh, and then he produced uh, Stevie Nicks, and he produced, I want to say the Eagles, and he produced uh, uh, um, Don Henley, and he produced uh, uh, Tom Petty, and then later on, he uh, got together. He found Dr. Dre, or Dr. Dre found him, you know, and they founded Interscope Records and changed music. Some people say for the worse, music was going to change, okay? It was going to change, and they were there creating that change as the American soundtrack went from rock music to rap music. Um, Kevin Brown says, so you're not a collector of bobbleheads, but you are of records. I, um, no, I'm a curator. I'm a curator. That's what I am. <laughs> The engineer on this album is none other than the legendary Shelly Yakis. 
Sheliakis was a sound engineer. So what is a sound engineer? So you got all the guys, you've seen pictures of all the, of the musicians, and they're all sitting in a studio, and they're all in a room, okay? And then there's a glass, and there's guys sitting behind the glass. There's one guy standing there, kind of watching him. There's another guy, and he's sitting at the uh, sitting down at the board, and his hands are you can't his hands are all in the buttons. That's often the sound engineer, Sheliakis, legendary sound engineer, sound engineer for music by Frank Sinatra, John Lennon, etc. Okay, uh, he told me a great story about going with Tom Petty when they played Saturday Night Live. I will tell you that story sometime. But Shelly is a near and dear friend of ours, so we have a connection to this record, and we're so glad that we do. If you haven't listened to Tom Petty for a while, and a lot of us aren't in a car anymore listening to the radio, so we're kind of home, okay? And if we're using Alexa, we're just calling out the songs, okay? Uh, YouTube, The Waiting, and A Woman in Love. And tell me that they're just not stunning songs, and that once you learn a little bit about music, notice the incredible production on those two songs that make the sound so rich and incredible and powerful and deep and resonant no matter what you're listening to no matter what device you're listening to the song on okay okay so what have we talked about today uh, we talked about bobbleheads we did not show any bobbleheads we talked about 1970s counterculture and underground comics and mr natural just wikipedia mr natural and see what you find it'll be incredible it'll open up a whole world to you a whole world to you to find out about the world of R. Crumb, Mr. Robert Crumb, if you don't know it. Uh, we talked about um, Fleetwood Mac's final album. And, of course, we talked about Tom Petty. Uh, Kevin Brown says, Randy, we have a man in denial. Did you hear that? Not a collector of either. What the f? I'm a curator and a rescuer. That's what I am. I am. You know who I am? I am the gatherer. I'm a gatherer. That's what I am. Hey, that's what they're going to call me. Tony, the gatherer. Not a hunter, but a gatherer. All right. But I gather like a hunter. All right, I'm going off the rails. We're going to get back on the rails. I got a great class to teach tonight. I'm going to enjoy teaching it. Okay, I will see uh, Kevin Brown and Randy and Daniel Wayne and a lot of other great people tonight at 6. The rest of you I will see tomorrow at 2 p.m. Mountain Standard Time. This is Living on a Thin Line. Bye-bye.